you're going to get a different take on debt reduction than you might be used to hearing. We're going to give practical strategies and tactics, but today Caleb is going to be framing this on a foundation of psychology because debt reduction is fundamentally a mental issue, not a financial one. So let's figure out how we think about debt, and then we'll move to some practical resources that can really help you move the needle on reducing the debt you carry. Welcome to the Only You Forever podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Verlinda Simone Gendel. Hey, everybody. This is episode number 63, and we are going to be talking about reducing debt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think finances as we've looked at in prior podcasts here, are a major stressor for most marriages. And we want to help you with that. And here's a checkpoint too on this for our audience. Maybe maybe you already know this, but if you're not 100% sure, sit down with your spouse and ask them what meaning they assign to debt. What does that mean? Just like, uh, you know, when you think of debt, how do you respond? How does that affect you? Mm, How does the idea of debt impact you when you, what do you feel when you think about the debt we have right now? Okay. Like, do you get all clammy and sweaty and your gut knots up? Terror. Yeah. Yeah. Or is it like, you know, I just, I love that. I can leverage it any time to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Right. And I say this because we, that's, kinda, <laughs> that's how we experience that differently, right? Yeah. And empathy comes from understanding. So I'm more comfortable with that as long as I have a sense that my income will cover the payments to repay it than you are. Yes. But because you're less comfortable, I'm really careful about incurring debt without having a good discussion with you first and talk and talking you into it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. So so you know, it's because of these differences in how we perceive debt and react to them that strain is added to marriages, which mm-hmm. is why we're interested in talking about this today. Financial yeah. issues on a marriage podcast. Okay. Right? So we're going to think about reducing debt today, and we're going to start with psychology, the psychology you need to wrap your mind around before you think about what you can wrap your income around. Mm, good one. So the, No, thank you. I think I might even come up with that one myself. Wow. There's a study from 2011 that asked questions of 63 couples. They all had good marriages, mm-hmm. and it asked them about their finances. And I just want to frame this as a background for what we're talking about today, because there's a pretty consistent message out there of great marriages that with those marriages, part of their success was due to careful, effective reduction of debt. Hmm, interesting. Not the absence of it, but the reduction of it. Yeah. So paying off debt as quickly as possible was a clear theme for them, for mm-hmm. these successful marriages. And another clear theme was not using credit cards at all. Wow. Or else just using them as a convenience and paying them off monthly. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Which is what we do. Yeah. Another theme that came out was establishing debt reduction as a common goal. So that both couples shared this goal that they wanted to reduce debt. And I think this is critical because you can't, if you can't agree on this, it's not going to be possible to move forward on debt reduction. Right. If you're not both on the same page. Yeah. If you get one person spending and willing to take on debt because they'd rather have it with the debt, mm-hmm. then you know, you're not going to be able to reduce debt together. Right. So you know, either then it's accepting the reality that your spouse isn't going to change. Or finding another way to have a conversation about, about what the debt means to you in a way that your spouse can relate to it. Because if it's really important to you not to have debt and your spouse continues to incur it, you know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're a caring person at some fundamental level. Yeah. So if they're not engaging with your concern, 
either they haven't heard it in a way they can't receive it, or maybe they, they even can haven't. receive it. They can receive it. Yeah. They haven't heard it at all, possibly too. Okay. So that's where I think hmm. it's important to have this conversation and give your spouse the choice whether they want to act out of a place of empathy to how significant the meaning of that is in, in, to you and in your experience, or they can choose to disregard your concerns about that. All you can do is to put it out there, though. Right. So this them. is like the debt not like her, like the person that doesn't like debt. Yeah, doing more of this. Yeah. Okay. So another theme that came out is that some started with a debt-free philosophy in these successful couples, mm-hmm. and other couples came to it over time. And I think it's helpful because you have to see yourself as creating a great marriage and getting comfortable with the fact that you're you're sort of in development together. Yeah, definitely. You know, so don't idealize your future as your present state. You know, don't expect what your future, uh, what am I trying to say? Like your finances? Marriage is a growth thing, right? Okay. So if you're recently married, don't try to rush that adult thing into current baby steps. Give yourselves time to grow. Okay. Yeah. And really get together even on things like this, right? Yep. And so part of giving it time is giving yourselves the time to develop that mutual commitment to debt reduction. Mm-hmm. And shape that as part of your common goals. Yeah. Okay. We so we talked a lot about that in sixty or sixty-one shared values and common yes. goals and stuff. Yeah. So why is it so hard to actually get on the same page about debt reduction? This is what I wanted to understand because this is, this is another source of conflict, right? Yep. So there are predictors of debt found through some pretty extensive research studies, and for example, one study found that house status and level of changes in income are very robust predictors of debt in general. In other words, if your health is poor or your income never changes over an extended period of time, you're more likely to be in debt. Hmm. Those are just, these are realities from living, right? And the same study found that for intermittent and chronic debt, intermittent meaning that you're occasionally going in debt for things, chronic meaning you're always in debt. Yeah. There were these factors, number one called locus of control, which we're going to touch on in a moment. Family structure during adolescence, if your parents were together or not. Makes a difference in debt. Yes. Wow. Your socioeconomic status makes a difference. Your work effort and your marital status. These are all robust predictors of these types of debt. Interestingly, self-esteem also plays specifically into chronic debt. Where there's low self-esteem, there's higher chronic debt. Wow. And so basically anything that you could sort of consider to be a disadvantage in life generally is also a disadvantage with regards to debt reduction. So you're more likely to be in debt. Yeah, if you have these other challenges, right? Huh. And that, that seems quite discouraging. Yeah. Right? So I want to link that to a crucial point from another study about locus of control, which we just touched on briefly there. And, and I'm doing this to give us hope. Because locus of control is a concept from personality psychology. It basically puts your personal belief about whether you have control over life or not on a continuum from external to internal. Mm-hmm. So... If it's external, you believe that fate or God or chance really initiates all the things that happen to your life. Okay. And you're the wall, the mud gets flung against it. Okay. Who it comes from just depends on your belief system. Okay. If your locus of control is internal, you believe that you have control over all the things that happen within your own power. Okay. Okay. Health. So there's a continuum in between there of where yeah, you are on yeah, the yeah, scale. Yeah. Okay. Healthy is probably somewhere towards the internal end, but not all the way because I think the healthiest version of this is from a Christian worldview, which says that, yeah, God does intervene in my life, but also he gives me the power and the ability to make all sorts of choices. Yeah. 
So that's a strong, I would suggest a strong internal locus of control is the best. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, concerning the list we just mentioned, there's a lot there to speak to the external locus of control, like your health can get impacted or you feel like you have no ability in your job to get more income or and yeah. so on, right? Yeah. Meaning our struggles with debt could be portrayed as outside factors. Okay. All based on that, which we're outside of our control, which leads to a sense of totally being disempowered. We're stuck. We're unable to change. Okay. Okay. Now, let me just bring this to a research study by a guy called Watson in 2009. If your locus of control orientation is primarily external, you're more likely to use external controls, such as financial resources and purchasing activities, to achieve a sense of control. So you're more likely to use things involving the bank and other things like that and how you how you buy and these types of approaches. It's, it's a different way of trying to get control over your finances. That doesn't mean you're powerless. It just means how you come to managing your debt is going to look different. Okay. Not sure I completely get that. Okay. Let me keep going and then okay. see if I'm still out to lunch here. Okay. If your locus of control is primarily internal, they found that these types of folks are less likely to misuse credit cards and much less likely to be compulsive in their buying behaviors. Okay. So if you believe that you have the power to choose, you also believe you have the power to say no. Okay. Yeah. If you don't believe you have the power to choose, you kind of have to get outside things to strong arm yourself to not misbehave with regards to spending, if I can put it that way. Okay. But I don't understand what these... Like, how are you using financial resources? Is that going into debt? Is that what you're saying? Or? Yeah. Okay. So, oh, sorry. But how I do see you get you control with that? Okay. So here's the part I'm not explaining. Yeah. If you have an external locus of control, right, and you get in car accidents or you have health issues or you believe all these other things happen to you, mm-hmm. then you feel like it's inevitable that you must choose debt to try to solve your problems. You don't oh, have control over okay. that either. Okay. Right. Okay. And your car breaks down and it keeps breaking down and, and you don't believe it's within your power to maintain it and deal with it. So you just go buy a new car. And then you It's the only way out of this. It's the only way you can be sure. Okay. Okay. And, and this is the type of thought processing though that leads to greater amounts of debt because you're leveraging financial resources, namely debt. Okay. To achieve a sense of control. Okay. I think I'm getting this now. Yeah. Yep. And, and so it's, it's like if you're, if you have this external locus of control, you believe that debt is inevitable as well. And okay. you need to buy what you need to buy because life just happens. Or you even buy because you want to feel a sense of control when so many other parts of your life are out of control. Okay. Right? Like retail therapy? Yeah. So you really want to pause if you're in this category and think about how your locus of control beliefs are impacting your purchasing behaviors. Because it's not so much about what you actually need or want. It's more about how you feel and how you think life treats you. Wow. So you're trying to rationalize what is actually psychological and belief-oriented rather than practical and objective about the things that you need to buy. Okay. So when you think about all these factors, it's really crucial to stop and think about if you have behaviors that are more driven by underlying psychology that you've never really considered than taking into account your own ability to choose these things. Okay. And in plain English, Rolanda, what I'm saying is, you know, personal growth mm-hmm. may be a great long-term strategy for debt reduction. Hmm. And it may, like... Not even thinking about finances, but just personal yeah. growth. Yeah, like go to a counselor and say, I need to work on developing a stronger internal locus of control. <laughs> and you're doing that because you want to reduce debt. Right, right. But this will help in so many aspects. Yeah, for sure. Debt. So hmm. let's get practical. That's the psychology stuff. Okay. Let's get practical about how to reduce debt. Once again, we've created a bonus tool. Uh, it's not the same as the budgeting one, but it'll work well with it. 
that we've mentioned in previous episodes in this mini series. This tool is a debt reduction calculator and you'll need Microsoft Excel to use it. And I'd love to email you a link so you can download this debt reduction calculator. It's going to help you eliminate your debt by creating a payment schedule that will help you to see the snowball method, which we're going to talk about, working for you. To get an email link with uh, an email link to the calculator, text the word podcast to 9292 spells. Message and data rates may apply on your cell phone, but all you need to do is to text the word podcast to 9292 spouse. Just type 9292 and the word spouse in the two line on your smartphone and the word podcast in the body will get you set up with a link to the debt reduction calculator. It's super useful. Don't miss out on this download. It's actually really encouraging to see how your plan is going to work. Cool. So if you look at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission website, you'll see that they say this. No investment strategy pays off as well as or with less risk than eliminating high interest debt. Okay. Most credit cards, they go on to say, charge high interest rates as much as 18% or more if you don't pay off your balance in full each month. And if you owe money on your credit cards, the wisest thing you can do is pay off the balance in full as quickly as possible. And I'm, I'm still quoting here. Virtually no investment will give you returns to match an 18% interest rate on your credit card. That's why you're better off eliminating all credit card debt before investing. Mm-hmm. Once you've paid off your credit cards, you can budget your money, begin to save and invest. Oh, that's very interesting. So Makes sense. Yeah, it does. But there's a, there's different opinions on this. This is where I'm going, right? Oh, okay. So they also tell you to stop using your credit cards and figure out how much you owe and then pay off the card with the highest rate first. So this is a debt reduction strategy. Yeah. And for some of you, you know, feel free to choose to do this because it works for many people. Yeah. Okay. Now, you can't talk about reducing debt without speaking about Dave Ramsey. Yes. And he has a different approach called the snowball method, which goes in a little bit of a different direction than the Securities and Exchange Commission recommendation that we just read. So his premise is, though, is similar to where I've kind of started with this episode, is that it's more about behavior and psychology and less about math when we're trying to reduce okay. debt. Yeah. So he acknowledges that paying off high interest loans first makes the most sense mathematically. But then he says in terms of psychology of in terms of the psychology of success, he recommends that you get small wins first. And that's his snowball method. Yes, so that okay. you can see yourself winning and paying off debts that have been hanging over your head and getting that out of the way, which may mean that your credit card doesn't go first. It's oh, not the okay. first thing you attack. Yeah. Okay. So he's created the snowball method. Now, the snowball method is where you aim to pay off the smallest debt first because you want to create the psychological momentum. And all the other debt while you're paying off your first debt, all the other debt you have set to minimum payments. Okay. So when you get that smallest debt paid off, you take the payments from that, you add them to the minimum for the next larger debt. Okay. And so as you knock off these smaller debts, you're also increasing the payment size as you move on to larger debts. That's how you're snowballing. Okay. Yeah. So So because your snowball gets bigger as it goes down the mountain, you get have a bigger once you've paid off the smaller debt, you add that to the minimum payment of the next one and your yes. snowball's bigger. Yes. And then when that's paid off, you take both those two and add them to the next one. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And when I first heard this, it took me a couple minutes to wrap my head around it. And it's a little hard to talk to, but I'm going to try to paint a picture for those of you that are, are numbers folks, okay? Okay. Say you have $1,000 debt on furniture. You bought some couches. Mm-hmm. It's 100 bucks a month in payments. So, and I'm through most of this, I'm going to imagine that there's no interest, so I have nice, round, easy numbers, okay? <laughs> okay. Make my math easy. 
and you have ten thousand dollars on a car loan that you've been paying off at five hundred bucks a month, mm-hmm. and you have thirty thousand on credit cards. And I actually did the math on this. The minimum payment on credit cards at thirty thousand dollars at eighteen percent is seven fifty a month. Oh, That's wow. your minimum payment. Yeah. So, anyways, let's just say you have thirty thousand credit debts. You've been trying to take an extra little crack at that, so you've been putting down a thousand bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So he'd say, "Okay, start with your smallest debt first, which is your thousand dollar furniture." And take your car loan and your credit cards and put them on minimum payments. Okay. And so let's say you can't move the car loan, it's a fixed whatever, but you can move the credit card down to seven fifty. So you take the two hundred fifty dollar difference between what you were paying on the credit card and what you have now, which mm-hmm. is two hundred fifty bucks, and you add that to hundred bucks a month for the thousand dollar furniture debt. So now you're paying three hundred fifty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna have your furniture debt done in about three months. Right. Instead okay. of like ten, right? Yeah. So that's that's like you get a fairly quick win out of that. So that feels good and makes you want to keep going. Yeah, like we just knocked one off. Yeah. So then you take that 350, once you're done paying that debt, you take the 350 and you don't go start spending that or putting that back yes. into your family budget. You yeah. add it to your car payment. Okay. So now you're paying down 850 bucks a month on the car loan. And in about nine to 10 months, you're going to be done your car loan because you've already been paying it while this other yeah. debt is going on. You had to keep paying that 500, right? Yeah. And once you take... And once you're done paying off the, the car loan, you take the 850 from that and you add the 750. The 750. This is where my math got a little screwy. Okay. But at this point, what are we at now? 1600 $1, bucks you're paying on the credit card every month. Every month. Okay. And that's going to bang your credit card down in a couple of years, I'm thinking at that rate. Right. It's way faster. So what you've done is you've created the snowball payment that's really big now, and it's really attacking this credit card thing. Plus, you've given yourself these wins along the way. Okay. And again, the key here is that once you have the lower things paid off, you don't put that bit of money back into your family budget or start spending it, or even save it. You don't do that either. You just pay off debt. You get this debt dealt with. Hmm. So you're leveraging the payments power by snowballing them. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, I think so. So what I like about... You know, Dave's over the SEC is the psychology, right? Yeah. Like, I think to me that has more appeal and more merit than the SEC approach. Whereas I would, I think I would go more the SEC approach. Yeah. Why? Well, just because it's like, let's pay the high interest stuff off first. Then I'm not creating more debt Yeah. while I'm paying off smaller debt. But that that's just a personality difference, yeah. right? Which one works like for in a, us? That's in, you know, on paper, you're kind of wasting your minimum payment because you're just paying interest month after month yeah. on the credit card, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you're not ever going to be making progress on anything is the psychology feeling, I think. Okay. Right? Yeah. And that, I guess in your scenario, though, there's not interest. So you're not actually seeing the different interest on the three different payments and yeah. all two. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So- and again, this is why I'm not being adamant, right? So folks yeah. are going to have to pick out what works for them. Yeah. But to me, the the psychology of the small wins and then ending up with this big chunk, just kind of hammering down on the credit card every month. Yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So again, don't forget we have a link to a debt calculator spreadsheet. It'll show you what, using this snowball method. It'll help you to visualize it out. So usually on the you know when we look at bar or. Uh, charts the, the curve kind of goes up yeah well this one has the curve going down because right. it's showing you how the snowball works and it starts to deplete faster and faster as you go 
Okie dokie. So you can get that by email. Just text 9292 spouse with the word podcast. We'll get that right to you. So I hope this has been a help to you. If you're facing debt, remember the first step is to get on board with each other. This is about mm-hmm. your marriage. Yeah. Right? If you don't want to do what your spouse wants or your spouse isn't on the same page, be gentle with each other. Find out, just go for understanding, not for conflict. Find out what's really going on for you, for your spouse. Find out why you're stuck. Try to understand each other well and work on moving towards a place where you can honor that dream that one of you has, or maybe both of you have of being debt free. And you know, even if, if you're the spouse where being debt free is not super important to you, you can think about giving that as a gift to your spouse. Mm-hmm. Right. And then collaborate together on what that might look like. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of goes the other way too. What's that? If you are the person that doesn't like to go in debt. Yes. Like sometimes I've just had to trust you because I realize that like you are the income bringer homer, whatever you want to call it in the family. And even though I don't like debt, like, do I want to get hung up and cause a huge whatever in our marriage? Yeah, but are you just making that choice because you feel disempowered and you don't have the say? Or are you making that choice because it works better for you? I'd say neither. Okay. Like, I'm giving you the power to make the choice, even though it's not the choice I would have made. And it just, just becomes a part of me just having to trust you. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Not that that advocates debt either. Like, I don't think that's a good thing to go into debt. No, but I think it does highlight the point for Linda that, you know, we can't all, we can't always get our feelings the same about no. some things, right? And, and we, we have to get comfortable with them being different. Yeah. And we can't always insist that it has to be my way. Right. And then not being willing to not catastrophize the outcome and make it a huge issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next. <laughs> we'll just leave folks hanging on what that really means. All right. So if you get stuck here, hop on to onlyyouforever.com. Click the get in touch link at the top. I'd love to help you guys out with this. So please do reach out. If you're wanting to incur more debt and your wife won't let you, you can talk to me. Um, if you have uh, debt and your husband's not on board <laughs> with resolving that debt, you can talk to Verlinda. <laughs> oh, come on. So this is the last in our series on family budgeting. Next week, we're going to talk about how to create a healthy, vibrant marriage, even if you didn't have good role models growing up. So this is a challenge many of our listeners face. Yep. And again, we'll have some solid biblical wisdom and some research to help you out. Sounds good. Well, that's all for today's episode. Again, you can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 63. And we love to help build thriving, passionate marriages. So we'd love it too if you could help us spread the word and share this podcast with others who would also be blessed by it. So thanks, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the OnlyYouForever.com podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at OnlyYouForever.com slash love. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good job. That was like the longest hook ever. Yeah. I don't think we'll use those for bloopers, so we'll come up with something better. Well, we don't need to use anything for bloopers because I have a suspicion yeah. from the number of people who laugh and tell me they enjoy my bloopers yeah. that I'm usually the blooper. Yeah. I mean, you can start sending the podcasts over to the producer if you want. So you never send any of your junk? I don't make bloopers. That is so not even true. <laughs> okay. So, did you hit stop and no. record again?
This would be a good example for how well we resolve conflict in marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a really good example of, you know, sacrificial love, actually. On my part? Yeah. Because I put up with your bloopers, you mean? No, because you're willing to sacrifice <laughs> your wife. <laughs> yeah, that's what they mean by sacrificial love. Uh-huh. I will readily throw my wife under the bus. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm good at sacrificial love. <laughs> 